continue in our lesson uh, from this morning, uh, part two. Basically, I did not quite finish all that we wanted to uh, accomplish this morning, and uh, due to some technical difficulties, I uh, hopefully uh, there may be some formatting difference, uh, differences where they may look a little different than what's supposed to, but I believe we'll be able to persevere. I was telling Brother Bob there used to be a time when a gospel preacher came up with his Bible, uh, and that was it. Uh, but as you know, my generation and all our technological uh, wonder and advancement, we've gotten probably a little more fancy than we <laughs> may should be beneficial sometimes. So I do hope that you'll bear with me and uh, hopefully there won't be too many uh, changes uh, in the way the presentation looks and the formatting and various things of that nature. All right, as we were looking at, we began, or ended rather, noticing uh, that that seed promise had continued. I want you to note that, again, the, pro- the point was to look at uh, basically four one seed or seed occurrences. Uh, two physical in the sense that we found uh, God creating Adam and then Eve. And as a result of that, uh, mankind, humanity would, would continue. And uh, as God told them to be fruitful and multiply, that would be the case. And then we noted the spiritual aspects of it in the sense that God would not only create man and and give man everything that was necessary and needful for his existence, but God would make a promise, a promise to Satan. And, of course, that promise would deal with man. And God said that it would be through the seed of woman that Satan would be destroyed. And, of course, we find that in the New Testament as well. And it would be through Abel and and eventually, as he was killed by uh, Cain, eventually Seth, And we see not only is it just creation or humanity as a whole, but a specific line of people that were faithful to God uh, that would continue the promise that God would make. And as we've noted, we ended with Noah and his son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And of course, it would be through Shem that we would find that line uh, continue. So... uh, I'm a... I'm a Mac person, so y'all bear with me as well. Uh, but again, Noah, and through, it would be through Shem that we would find that, that line or lineage continuing as far as the spiritual seed aspect. Now, through the descendants of Noah, again, are Faxit and Selah and Eber and uh, Peleg and Re, uh, Ru, rather, we would find that continuing. Of course, then we noted Abraham. Abraham would be the one to whom God would make the threefold promise. And it would be through the descendants of Abraham that that promise would be continued. And again, the promise had really a, a twofold purpose. It was a, a promise in the sense of physical things. Of course, they would inherit a land, a physical land. They would become a great or mighty nation of people, physical people. We also see that there was a spiritual promise involved, that God said that in you all families of the earth would be blessed. Now, of course, we can jump ahead and look at the New Testament and realize and know that the fulfillment of that is in Christ or is Christ, as we also noted in Galatians chapter 3 as we began our lesson. And then God would even repeat the promise in Genesis 17, verses 10 through 11. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised into, uh, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, of course, Paul would bring that up later in Romans chapter 4. As the Jews of that day and uh, many of those who who had a misunderstanding by the promise would say that those who were circumcised or the descendants of Abraham are those who were solely circumcised that would inherit the promise. And of course, Paul would go back to Abraham and say, remember, God made the promise to Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. Again, going back to Genesis 7 that God would make with him. In other words... Abraham, his faith was reckoned to him for righteousness before he was circumcised. So Paul would use that to help them to see that, no, no, again, Christ is the promise. And it's by faith that we are the children of Abraham or the children of God or recipients of the promise that God would make to Abraham. It's through faith. Remember, as you go back again, we see somewhat of a a typological uh, aspect to this in Genesis 22 and verse 2. God showing us the great love that he would show 
uh, to humanity, again, in offering his only begotten son, would command Abraham, who Paul, call, uh, Paul called the father of us all, the father of faith, in Genesis 22 and verse number 2, that this is how Abraham's faith was reckoned to him for righteousness when he offered Isaac his son. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him, and therefore burnt offering, on one of the mountains, which, of which, brother, I shall tell you. So God commanded Abraham to offer up his son Isaac. Now we know God would offer his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, but this was how Abraham showed his faith. This is how Abraham's faith was reckoned to him for righteousness. And again, in verse number 12, and God would then tell Abraham, and he said, Do not lay your hand on the child or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, uh, again, I believe the idea is not that, well, God didn't know Abraham. Uh, remember, God, when he made the covenant with Abraham, going back to Genesis 7, he said, I know that you're faithful in all your house and that your house is faithful to you. So it, it, I, I don't believe the omniscient God said, well, okay, well, wow, I didn't know Abraham was faithful, but now I do. The idea is now I believe it's known that Abraham is faithful. And just as we've seen in each and every case, it is known the faithless people by their works and those works of faith. As a matter of fact, James in James chapter 2 would go back and uh, recount this incident where Abraham showed his faith in God. Faith without works is dead. Well, Abraham showed his faith, of course, as well as Rahab. But Abraham showed his faith in offering up his son, uh, son Isaac. Now, the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 11, why did Abraham offer him? Because he knew that God was faithful to his promise. In other words, he just thought God was going to raise him up. And so it wasn't that he was saying, well, let me reason through this. And, and, and you know, no, no, he knew the faithfulness of God, that God had made a promise and God was going to fulfill that promise. And so in him commanding me or Abraham, rather, to offer up his only begotten son, Abraham, well, God, God's just going to raise him up. He's be accepted in the figure. And so Abraham had a faith that was reasonable. In other words, it was one based on the word of God. It wasn't a blind faith. It wasn't a faith based on emotionalism. Abraham knew God. And of course, our faith is based on the fact that we know God. We know that God will be faithful. So Abraham had a son by, uh, through Sarah, rather, the son, his son Isaac. Uh, of course, uh, we know that Abraham all, had also a son through Hagar, Ishmael, but he was not the son of promise. It would be Isaac. And as we continue the story, remember, God would even reiterate the promise that he made to Abraham to his son Isaac, his descendant, in Genesis 26, verses 3 through 4. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all of these, uh, all of these lands, brother, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. Of course, be a great nation. Again, we find the land promise. And I will give to your descendants all these lands, and to your seed, the nations of the earth will be blessed. Remember, this is through the lineage of Shem. Well, God is saying that even... The uh, Ham and Japheth are going to be blessed through Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. Of course, we know that that promise uh, will continue. And so we, we, we see that God is being faithful. Of course, Isaac would have a son named Jacob. And that promise, again, would be reiterated to Jacob by God, the promise that was made to Abraham. And also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I want you to notice as he reiterates this promise to Jacob, we see it a little more defined. We see it a little more confined. As a matter of fact, the, the point is, the emphasis is the fact that he shall be, or his seed rather, shall bless all families of the earth. And so we see the emphasis being placed upon the promise of the Christ going back to Genesis 3 and verse number 15. So God is continuing to remind them of the faithfulness of his promise and that he will do it. Now, Jacob had 12 sons. Of course, one would be Judah. Now, God would make a special or a specific promise regarding Judah. Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10, God would say to Judah, Judah, you are, a, uh, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's well. For the prey, uh, from the prey, my son, you, uh, you have got, let me slow, I'm trying to speed up because I, I know I have a lot of stuff here. And let me slow down though. You have gone up, he bows down and he lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, 
nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall the obedience of the people, or shall be the obedience of the people. So Judah has a special place here. And again, we know from the New Testament that that is pointing to the Christ, who would be of the tribe of Judah. And so now we find that Jacob also had these sons, but there was one son in particular. You remember how Noah was really the preserver of humanity in a sense that his faithfulness caused humanity to be able to continue? Well, the same is true, I believe, with Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob. It would be through Joseph, as remember, there would be a great famine. Egypt would rise up as a great nation. Joseph would be sold by his brethren into the land of Egypt as a slave. He would receive favor of Potiphar and then really rise to, to be second in command, basically, of the Egyptians. And as this famine, this dearth would hit the, uh, hit the land, uh, we, we know the story of how Jake, uh, Joseph's brother would be reconciled to him. And as a result of all of that, and again, I believe the story of Joseph is just showing us the faithfulness of God, how he's going to make sure and ensure that his promise is kept. Because it would be through Joseph that Jacob and his sons would be preserved and not die as a result of the famine. Hence, they would come into the land of Egypt and Joseph being used, much like Noah, as that person to preserve God's promise or that promise to continue. And all the events that would transpire as a result of Joseph, remember, uh, we'll find in the New Testament is going to be according to the foreknowledge and determinate counsel of God. In Genesis 15 and verse number 13, we go back. And remember, God said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Well, again, that happened. And it would be through Joseph, of course, that they would come into Egypt. Now, we may think, well, that they're going to be into slavery. They're going to go into bondage and they're going to be harshly oppressed by the Egyptians. But remember, it would be there as they were sent to the land of Goshen that they would become a mighty nation. So mighty that God, uh, the Pharaoh would say, that they become too mighty. And of course, he would try to kill all the firstborn of the Israelites. And so notice how the promise of God was fulfilled really in the situation of oppression and hardship. And so, but God is still faithful. God is still faithful. And so they were preserved. And again, the promise of God was fulfilled. One of the promises through again, this promise that God had made and what he had told Abram about this bondage that his descendants would be in. Now, it was from there that Moses would come into the scene. And, of course, Moses, uh, God would appear to Moses. Moses would deliver the, the nation of Israel with a mighty hand, by God's mighty hand. Of course, he would even part the Red Sea. But I believe more significant than that, it would be through Moses that God would give his people the law. Now, it would also be through Moses that they would again enter into the land of Canaan because Moses and his leadership and God's guidance, they would go through the wilderness or wander in the wilderness some 40 years. And, of course, a whole generation of unfaithful, disobedient Israelites would be killed, would be destroyed. And hence, only the generation of Joshua and Caleb would enter into the promised land. As we've seen already, Noah and only his sons in a wicked world among a wicked people, Israel, to whom they were aware of the promises, God would separate the unfaithful from the faithful. And, of course, Paul would tell us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, how they tempted God in the wilderness. And so they were destroyed. But those who were faithful would enter in to the land of Canaan. And, of course, Joshua and Caleb being those two uh, among those 12 spies who, who did not fear the Canaanites did not fear the nations round about, but knew that God was faithful. It was, it was them in that generation that would uh, enter into the, the land of Canaan, the promised land. So God gave his people a land. God gave his people a deliverer. And God gave his people law. Now, those three things helped or should have helped Israel to see their purpose. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, God told Moses this, and of course the people as well. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, 
if, and note that word if, because that is a big, big, powerful word. The word if is probably one of the smallest words in the Bible, a two-letter word, but it is one of the biggest that has the, the biggest significance. It, I believe and also is a big word uh, in the Bible, big, small word, as we say. But if especially, because it is a preposition that deals with the idea of it's, it's this conditional uh, aspect. And notice he says, if you will obey my voice, and that's a big if, my, uh, my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And so Moses did that. And, of course, they all agreed to the covenant that God had made with them. If you obey my voice, you're going to be a special treasure above all people. Remember, everybody came from one man. And by one man, all the earth, the earth, rather, humanity was preserved. Again, going back to Noah. But it's going to be you, Israel. If you obey my voice, you're going to be special to me above all people. All the earth is mine. I have designated this. I have decided this. And it's because he gave him law. You're going to be a kingdom of priests and you're going to be a holy nation. And so they had a special purpose. Now the question is, are they going to fulfill that purpose? Much like we've seen already in our, in our story. Well, in Joshua 23, verses 15 through 16, Therefore it shall come upon you that all these good things... That, I'm sorry, as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God had given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. And that happened. Guys, if people would go to Joshua 23, verses 15 through 16, a lot of death could be avoided. There could be a lot of that. No, no, the land, it's not yours. You, you had the land. Your people were kicked out of the land. Why? Because they were unfaithful and came into idolatry. Stop saying that we and everybody else, that that land is owed to you. Anyway, that's a whole other story for another day. They had the land. God fulfilled his promise. But remember, it was conditional. If, for they did not fulfill their end of the covenant. And hence, they were removed from this land. And God made a promise that they would be removed. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. Well, as we see the story, again, through Judah and his descendants, we also note an individual, and I knew that was going to happen, but the rest of this slide, let me go back and see if I can do this here. Okay, leave backspace, there we go. Play. Where is play? Okay, I got it. Uh, where now? To the right. Which one? In the beginning, Okay, gotcha. Um, try that. All right. <laughs> try it. Okay. I'm Windows ignorant. No, that's now it's the beginning of the whole presentation here. Okay, that's a good idea, Brother Bob. Okay, all right, through uh, 
Judah's descendants, we would be introduced to another individual that would be very significant. All right, there we go. Uh, be very significant in our story. And of course, it would be through Judah and his descendants that uh, Nashon and then Salmon, but they, uh, through him rather, would be Boaz, and then a man named Obed, then a man named Jesse. And it would be from Jesse that we would find the great King David. And so God, as we can see here, is still, they, they, they haven't been faithful. They, they've disobeyed God's commands. They've been removed from the land. And, of course, we're jumping ahead in our story. But now David, God is still preserving his promise. God is still ensuring the promise that he had made would be carried out. And that would, again, be through David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13, God will tell David this very important, very important promise made to David. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. There it is. Who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is referring to Christ as we know the New Testament tells us. So God is continuing his seed promise. And so it would be through David, of course, that he would have many, uh, many concubines and wives, but specifically through Bathsheba. And again, I note the promise is being carried out and fulfilled. Once again, despite the adversity, despite the sinfulness of men, because as we know the story with David and how he would acquire the son Solomon by sleeping with Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite's wife, and of course having basically him killed. Uh, as we put him in the front lines and, and all of the things that, of course, Nathan the prophet would say to David, David would repent of that. We find that in Psalm chapter 51. But it would be through Bathsheba and all the sin that occurred there that God would continue his promise. They would have two sons, one Nathan and one Solomon. And, yes, we continue in the line of Solomon as far as the record is concerned, but Nathan will play a pivotal, a pivotal point in the story as well uh, uh, through his descendants and through his lineage. We're going to see God's providential care of his promise being carried out. And so God continues, even despite all of these things. And that seed promise would continue to the divided kingdom. Remember, it would be through Solomon that the kingdom, his sons, rather Rehoboam, uh, that the kingdom would be divided. Again, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, it would be through them that the kingdom of God would be divided. Of course, Judah and Benjamin would go with Jeroboam and the rest of Israel would go with, uh, I'm sorry, Rehoboam. The rest of Israel would go with Jeroboam. And it would be through the captivity. Remember, God would make promises to the prophets that you were going to go into captivity because of your faithfulness. God would send prophets to warn the people, trying to get them to do what's right, to do what's faithful. And, of course, they would disobey God. And we know Israel, the ten tribes of, uh, uh, yeah, ten tribes of Israel were carried away into captivity, Assyrian captivity, as we see in 2 Kings 18, 10 through 11, and 2 Chronicles 28 and verse 8. Then Judah would be left alone. Well, it, uh, Judah would also go into ca uh, captivity because King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylons would come upon them, besiege Jerusalem, and they too would go into captivity. Well, the promises God has done. No, it's not. Because God, as we have known, always has kept the faithful remnant. And they would be allowed to return. And God would still maintain his promise. In uh, Malachi chapter 3 and verses 6 through 7, he says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. God is reiterating exact, his faithfulness exactly here. I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. In other words, it's not been because of your righteousness. It's not been because you are the descendants of Abraham. It's not because you're the descendants of Shem that you are so righteous. No, I will make my promise sure. You are not deserving. Of this, you have disobeyed me, and really Israel should have been wiped out because of their disobedience. But faithful men stood up. Faithful men continued to be righteous or faithful, rather justified before God, and hence the promise would continue. He said, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? And remember, Malachi was not long into their return. They would be given the law. They would, again, institute the sacrifices that God had commanded. They would have a time of, of, uh, of restoration. And it wasn't long before they were doing exactly what happened before they were even carried away. How quickly we forget. 
how quickly God's people return back to their old ways if they forget the faithfulness of God. And remember, God will do as he's promised. And then we find the years of silence. And and before that, again, I know, like I said, there's kind of differences in my uh, presentations here. But before I look at the years of silence, I want you to go back and look at a promise that God made in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And we're familiar with this verse, but notice, this would have been on my other slides, but notice this promise that God would make through the prophet Isaiah before really even the captivity, uh, the return rather, would take place before the captivity for that matter. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a son. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, of course, which is translated God with us. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, remember 2 Samuel chapter 7, and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice and from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. And so God had promised the Christ as he would uh, reveal through the prophet Isaiah. Now, as we go into the years of silence, remember God said, and we refer to this as the years of silence because there was no direct revelation from God. There were no prophets speaking to the people of Israel. These were years of silence. As God had promised through his prophet Amos in Amos chapter 8, verse number 11, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor of the thirst of water, but of the hearing of the words of God. And that year, that period of year, uh, years of silence, brother, lasted about 400 years. And there was no prophetic utterances or, 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 or prophecies or revelation from God, no direct. All they had were the scriptures. And, of course, it would be through that time that the Hebrew scriptures would be translated into the Septuagint. Many things would occur. Many of the Jewish sects and denominations would would be formed and established during these years. Synagogue worship would occur during these years. And so there were many things that God's providence was carrying out during these years, but there was no direct revelation for 400 years. And yet we find God's promise still being fulfilled. Point made. Point uh, This point I want to make. Even though there was no direct revelation, did not mean that God's promises were not going to be kept. Yes, this was just a 400-year period. But God's promises were just as sure as if prophets were still coming and declaring them. Just because all we have is the word of God. To help remind us of those promises of heaven and judgment does not mean that they are not being kept. Many people, I believe, have lost sight of this. That's why people are coming with all these different revelations. They're calling themselves prophets. They're calling themselves apostles. They're coming with these prophecies. They've seen, uh, received a sign from God. God has spoken to them to let the people know that he's faithful. We don't need that. We know God is faithful from here. I don't need somebody coming telling me they've received some revelation from God. I have the revelation of God. And so just as God's promises were sure in these years of silence, you best believe. The 2,000 some odd years, God is still being faithful. And the promises he's made has been fulfilled, and they will be kept. And we don't ever need to lose sight of that. You've had all these religious groups coming up with their own Bibles and own revelations and, and all these various things because they need something to fill the gap. No. We have that which is most sure, and that's the word of God. And so we do not doubt as Christians God's promises. All right, so a 400-year period is, is, is taking place. And when I read the book of Matthew and Luke as they uh, speak of the birth of Christ, when I read that, it's almost amazing to me that after 400 years of silence, it seems out of the blue, Gabriel comes and announces the birth of Christ. Now, Paul would go back and speak in Galatians 4 and verses number 4 through 6, this important point, because Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God's own time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of a son in your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. 
It's like out of 400 years, all of a sudden, Gabriel just comes. There's no warning, hey, Gabriel's coming here next month, so y'all get ready now. Be ready, because it's about to happen. No, it's none of that. All of a sudden, Gabriel comes. It's out of the blue. And, the, and it begins. The fulfillment begins. Why is that important? Guys, there's not the sign of the times that everybody's speaking of. Oh, uh, this guy, this president's been set in power. This world leader's here. This war's going on. This territory's been captured. Y'all get ready. Y'all get ready. It's just, Gabriel just came. One day we're going to be married and given in marriage, just as Jesus says. And that trump's going to sound. And when you look at 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 and it, it, it's, it's going we, we really don't have a measure to measure how quickly we're going to be changed. So the time is not to wait for the announcement to begin. The time is to be prepared for when it comes. Because it's coming. God said it's coming. We've seen how faithful God is. It's coming. And so God sent his son. And like I tell you what, I thought I had a little pointer with me somewhere. But anyway. The reason I brought up Nathan was, and this, this is just amazing to me when you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ from Matthew's account and Luke's account. Of course, Matthew's account comes from the standpoint of Joseph, but even Luke's account comes from the standpoint of Joseph. Because remember, uh, the lineage is, 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 is traced from the male, from the man, from the husband. But in Luke's account, essentially it's going through Mary. Okay? And Matthew through Joseph. But notice... He said the seed was going to come from Judah. And so you have these, these two people, and when you trace their lineage, notice how it goes right back to what God said. Amazing. That Mary and Joseph, just like Abraham and Sarah, remember, they were half brother and half sister. I'm not saying we go around and do that. But that promise was all fulfilled within the seed. And it's amazing that in the, in the uh, genealogy, you still have people that are inserted in that, but notice God's promise still happens. Rahab, what about Ruth, a Moabite? But yet God still does what? He still keeps his promise because they were faithful. They were faithful. So it, it, it doesn't, man, man cannot stop the promise of God. Now, again, we, we've uh, already noted that in Acts 2 and verse 23, after the death, burial, and resurrection and the ascension of Christ, Peter would stand up in the city of Jerusalem among a multitude of Jews and proclaim exactly what we've been looking at. Jesus, him, as he's referring to Christ, being delivered by the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God. Now notice the determinate purpose and God's foreknowledge, God's omniscience. All of these things that we've noted taking place, for knowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put him to death. You did exactly what God knew you were going to do. And God's plan, God's means was based on him knowing what you were going to do. Jesus Christ was crucified and we were redeemed. They thought they were doing uh, something against God. Satan did. See, that's why I don't believe Satan is omniscient. If Satan had been omniscient, he would have never, never tried to, to, to cause people, to tempt people to hate Jesus and him crucify him. That was the worst thing he could do. And so we see that it was in this time, God's time, that that took place. And again, some of the format issues. Uh, Paul says in Romans 3 and verse number 9, what then? Are we better than they? Remember, you had the separation. They thought it was Jew and Gentile, but yet we look at the genealogy of Christ and we find both Jew and Gentile a part of that genealogy, a part of the God's promise because they were faithful. Paul would bring that up. Peter would bring that up. Many of the New Testament writers bring that aspect up. James brings that up. They thought it was just Jews. We're the ones. We're the ones. Nobody else. Gentiles. Y'all, you know, you have no hope. Everything's done. But no, it was always the faithful. The faithful. Because again, like I said, when you look at the genealogy of Christ, you're going to find both Jew and Gentile. And Paul brings us all on one page here. Are we better than they? Not at all. We have previously charged both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. When did sin, be, uh, when did sin begin? Well, when there were Jews and Gentiles. No, sin began when there were no Jews or no Gentiles. 
but just God's creation of humanity goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. That's when sin entered into the world, was through them. And so everybody, all humanity, is guilty of sin because all have sinned. Remember that. All have sinned because sin entered into the world. Therefore, everybody needs redemption. Everybody needs Christ. Paul would go on to say that there is, again, a second seed beginning. Here's where the second seed beginning comes. You go back to the beginning, you find Adam and Eve, and it goes through their seed. Humanity would multiply, cover the face of the earth. But there was a new beginning, a new creation. We go back to Genesis 1, and we see the creation. But there was a new creation when Christ, the seed of God, the promise of God, came. Paul says in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 16, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and uh, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is the firstborn, the preeminent over all creation. And it's through him that there is a new beginning, a new start. In Colossians 1, 17 through 18, Paul was going to say, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body of the church. Who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, that he may be first in rank and order. So, it started over. But it's not a physical start over. It most certainly is a spiritual. That's why we have to be born again. So we can have a new start, become new creatures in Christ. You see, the second seed beginning, we find that all Christians are new creatures in this new creation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul described Jesus as the second Adam. Because through him, it's all been started again. In Romans 8 and verse 29, Paul said, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Remember, a man was made uh, in the image of God. Of course, man sinned, and all men sinned as a result of sin entered into the world that we've seen. And we have been separated from God because of sin that we all commit. But see... The new beginning, we still have to be born in the image of God. Now, is it a new creation, a new physical creation? No. But it is a new spiritual creation. And so we are now conformed again in the image of God. But God's dear son, who is the personification of all righteousness. And so we as Christians, it's like we're part of that first creation again. But it's through Christ. It's spiritual. Now, listen. We go back. We have the opportunity to go back and look at Genesis and see, wow, man, Adam and Eve blew it. I can't believe they were in paradise. How could they mess that up? You don't listen to Satan. He's a liar. Man, they, man, I just can't believe they did that. And look at all the mayhem that has taken place as a result of them listening to Satan. God saw fit to destroy the whole world because of what they were doing, what they had done. And everybody who had done what they had done following them. Man, if humanity could get another start. Boy, if we could just start over. Humanity is not going to get another start. Humanity is going to get another chance. But we as Christians, we have a new start. So now as we look back. Remind ourselves. Remember, Peter said he wanted to put us in remembrance. When we look back, man, you know, I'm not going to, God has given us his word. I am not going to fall for that again. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Now, I was in that. I was a part of uh, the death because I sinned. The wage of sin is death. But God has given me a new start. You know, I look back now, I'm not going to fall for that stuff again with Satan. He's not going to destroy me and my family. Right? We got the story. We know the game plan now. We know Satan's book. We know his plays. We know what call he's going to run next. Do we fall for it again? Are we falling for it again? 
We see the history of God's people Israel. Are we falling for that stuff again? Are we allowing ourselves to be destroyed in this world wilderness as they tempted God and were disobedient? Are we doing that again? Are we allowing ourselves to fall into the trap of idolatry and worship the gods of the other nations again? Or do we look back and we see the faithfulness of God and we know what God requires and so we're not going to fall for that again? God has fulfilled the promise. I'm a recipient of that promise because I obeyed the gospel. God will again destroy the earth. Peter says that in 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now, he destroyed all the living creatures on the earth. This time he's going to destroy the earth. It's going to be gone. So we have another promise. God gave humanity 120 years to get themselves together. They rejected all except one man and his family. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Shall we find grace as well as Noah did? Well, we found that grace. Remember, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us in our ungodliness, worldliness, ungodliness, rather than worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We have found grace in Christ. Just like Noah found grace, we found grace. We are all justified by grace and faith, just like Noah. And remember, we are saved by grace through faith, not that of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, least any man should boast. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. God has ordained in the good works which he has established from the foundation of the world. You see, guys, we found exactly what Noah found. And everybody else had opportunity to. You see, and God has done this so that it might be a faith, that, uh, that it might be according rather to grace, so that the promises might be sure to all the seed. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, Paul says. When we go back and we look at Abraham, we realize that we are recipients of that. If we've obeyed the gospel, if we're Christians. Just like Moses was faithful in his own house, so Christ, Christ brother, is faithful in his. In Hebrews 4, and verses 1 through 2, Therefore, since the promise remains of entering into his rest, let us fear. At least any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them for not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. They had God's word. They had God's promise. They saw, they witnessed the mighty hand of God deliver them from Israel, but they were all destroyed. Why? Because it wasn't mixed with faith. And I believe the idea of faith is not just the belief, but it's a matter of trust in that belief. And so God has delivered us from the power of darkness, just like he delivered them from Egyptian bondage. He's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, just like they were a kingdom of God's people. We are a kingdom of God's people. We are in the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Let us, I'm sorry, yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And again, that's Jesus Christ. Remember the promise that God made to Israel, if you obey my voice in First Peter, I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 19, 5 and 6. Notice how Peter reiterates that, that uh, those verses and helps us to Christ, as Christians to understand what God was telling Israel regarding their purpose and what their intent is for them. In First Peter 2 and verse number 5, you also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter 2 and verse number 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praise of him who led, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Remember that from Exodus 19? Peter reminds them what God's intent was for Israel, and he's reminding them what his, uh, his intent uh, is for Christians, the Israel of God now. And so, beloved, we have great, great promise. But now, as they entered into the land of Canaan, God gave a promise. And he gave a warning. Do not mix with the land, the people of the land. You be separate. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18, I believe Paul is going back and saying that very same. Well, he is. But he's reminding them of the importance of being holy separate sanctified therefore come out from among them and be ye separate says the lord and do not touch that uh, what i'm sorry what is unclean and i will receive you i will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and my daughters says the lord almighty 
But what did they do? What are we doing? And he goes on to say how he made a new covenant and he found fault with them. But it's not going to be a new covenant. But in Matthew 26, 28, for this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we find that new covenant. We just remember the love that God has shown us in establishing that new covenant. But let our remembrance be exactly what God says it ought to be. This is normally a series of lessons that I uh, teach as far as home Bible studies of people who, you know, I believe need to see the whole story and various things. So I'm going to cut through a few of those things. Let me go back to this slide. Though. In 1 John 3, verses 11 through 15, we've already read this verse. Notice he says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who is of that wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren. If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death and whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. And so, beloved, just as God records for us what happened in the beginning, it would do well for us to remember the things that are happening to us. And, of course, we are Abraham's seed. If by faith, okay, we have been baptized. And I want you to notice something. There's neither any of these divisions or divisiveness that we find in the world. But in Christ, we're all one. Just as in the beginning, everybody was one. Well, sin separated that. And, of course, sin continues to do that. And in 1 John 3, 8, remember, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the sons of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's Genesis 3 and verse number 15 again. And we find that the tree of life is spoken of again as being entered into uh, the paradise, of course, I believe in heaven. Uh, figuratively speaking, the tree of life uh, is reintroduced to us, which was taken away from the beginning. Now we find it reintroduced. The promises of God are so wonderful. Just as they were told to go multiply, I leave us with this message. Let's go multiply. Well, well how do we do it? Well, no, we don't. You know, I mean, we physically, we, we can, we should multiply. I mean, you know, we, we do that as well. But that's not what God is talking about. Remember, this is a spiritual promise, a spiritual seed that is referring to. Yes, all humanity multiplies physically. But we're talking about the seed that God promised, the people of God. How do we multiply there? Well, Matthew says in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be fruitful and go multiply as well. And it's by uh, uh, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, people are now brought into the family of God. They become the seed of Christ, who was the seed of Abraham. It was the seed that God told Satan would destroy his works. And so let us, too, go forth and multiply by preaching the gospel and help all these people see the need to get into that ark before it's everlasting too late. God gave them 120 years. We don't know how. We know how long he's given us, but we don't know how long he's going to continue to give us. So let's do what's right. And I'm amazed at people who can see this whole story still sit there and say, God does not care what I do, how I do it, when I do it. He doesn't care if I'm baptized or not. You don't have to be baptized. All that we've seen, there's a whole, again, we could deal with a whole lesson on baptism. Paul speaks of it as far as going through the Red Sea. I mean, we could talk about that But it's amazing that people see this promise and still decide for themselves, I don't have to do what God says. He don't care if I do it. I'm going to make my own way. Y'all remember Cain? Isn't that what he did? And people are doing it all day long. I got my own way. But, you know, the Bible says this right here. Here, Here's where it says it. You know, Mark 16, 16, you know, you got to obey the gospel. You got to be able
do it my way. God has destroyed every person who tried to do it their way. He will destroy every person who is trying to do it their way. And he is faithful. Do it his way, not your way. We've seen how faithful he is. Don't ever doubt it. Well, I know it's been a kind of a long journey, and yes, there's many, many verses that uh, we can incorporate into our study, but I hope we have seen that God is faithful. His, his, his plan is so perfect, and, and he has carried forth it despite men, despite what we've done, despite what people have done. God's promise still has been continued, and it still gives men hope. People are imperfect. We've seen that, but yet God is perfect, and his plan is perfect. Won't you do what God says as he's given you opportunity? Remember, his long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. It's waiting for you now. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do what he says. Become a part of this seed promise. But you have to understand, as we saw in Galatians chapter 3, you must put on Christ in baptism to become Abraham's seed, not as of many, but as of one. Won't you do that? By believing in God, having faith, repenting of all sin. We see that had to be the case. You've got to turn away from that which is evil. Confess Christ, the Son of God, before men. And be baptized that you may have the forgiveness of everything you've ever done contrary to God's will. You can be a new creature in Christ. It's as if you were born again, a baby that has no transgression whatsoever. That's how white God will make you. You obey his word. Everything you've ever done is over. It's been washed away. What a new start. If you'll do that, God will fulfill his promise. He'll add you to the church, the kingdom of his dear son. And there you can await his son's arrival. And now if you die before his son's arrival, God in his infinite providential care. Says, you can still be in heaven. If you, if you die before my son comes back, I, I got you. You're in my hand. Don't worry about it. You'll be in heaven with all those who've gone on before you. You've obeyed my word. And as a child of God, we look at all these instances of people who sin and transgress against God. I can't help but think about David, Abraham, Lot. But notice they all repented and God still blessed them because they turned away from that evil. So if you're here today and you are a child of God, remember what happened with God's people when they continued to disobey him. Please, God is faithful. Let's turn away from those things as we have opportunities, we stand and as we sing. Tis the grand.